Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. Lock the gate! All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fuck nicks? What's happening? I don't know what's happening in the world today, but we know what happened in the world today. A year ago, I imagine there's like uh, on Fox tonight, there'll be fascism on ice. Uh, uh, why white people are better. That's a Tucker Carlson special. I'm sure there's a lot of that going on in the country. And I just wanted to say, in light of that, this isn't a political show, but we are better off in a very big way. Now, Trump is not president. We don't have to react to his insanity every goddamn hour of every goddamn day. That guy kicked the doors into people's brains, right and left, all around. Had a different effect on each. Some people who never knew what the president did and still don't, or don't have a firm understanding of how government even works. Uh, Just let that guy into their brain and fucking kick it around. Get them all excited. What Trump did... Whether he's president again or not, whether he lives or dies, whatever the fuck it is, what he did through persistence and aggravated will and full on narcissistic intent was destroy people's understanding of the necessity of tolerance. Democracy can't work without tolerance, civic duty, civic responsibility, civic structure. If this is supposed to work, it should work for everybody. Now it's a fractured fucking mess because no one feels like they have to tolerate anything anymore. They've had enough. They're righteous. They're victims. And everyone's on edge. Believe me, I I am on edge. You just feel it. Everybody is freaked out. Whether, look, I personally, I'm, I'm fine with the president. I like not knowing what the president is doing every five fucking minutes. But this fucking monster we had for four years was so entertaining to so many fucking craven idiots that they just got excited. They felt part of it. Like, hey, let's this let's be part of the big fuck you. And now let's be part of the big lie. Hey man, we were we were on board for the big fuck you. Let's get on board for this bullshit. King Grift and his shit show. Anyway, listen, David Mannheim uh, is on the show today. Uh, I was at the, I believe it was, I was staying at the Ludlow or the Bowery in New York. And it was was probably the the Ludlow is right across the street from Katz's, which is where he's worked all his life, the deli. 
And he saw me and he ran up to me. He's like, I do the podcast. I work at Katz's. I got this thing. I do this this dopey podcast. It's called Dopey and it's become a place for people to uh, basically you know, tell their stories about addiction and recovery. And he used to host it with his friend, Chris. And now he hosts it alone. Uh, and that's a story that you'll hear in a minute. But he just kept coming at me, giving me free meat, having me into Katz's. Giving, you know, you know, talking deli. And eventually I was like, all right, you know, I'll do the podcast. Let's do it. And I did his podcast, Dopey. And I just kept seeing him and I kept hearing from him and he kept giving me free meat. And I guess after a certain point, you give me enough free meat, I, uh, I'll have you on the show. But no, he's had a life. You know, his show was featured on an episode of This American Life. And oddly, this is actually the first time uh, he's using his last name. True, true that. Isn't that wild? So I, I guess that's sort of like coming out in a way. He's coming out as his full name. Big show, folks. Worked up, man. Worked up. I'm trying to deal. You know, I got my cat sick. I told you the other day, and it just destabilized my entire life. I, you know, you get into a pattern with these things. There was so much love going on between Buster and Sammy. And I take, you know, I took Buster to the vet and then Sammy doesn't know who the fuck Buster is for like a fucking three, four days because of the smell and it was sad. And now Buster's not 100%. I don't know if he's ever going to be 100%. I don't really know what's wrong with him other than pancreatitis. I've been giving him fluids, trying to get him to eat. I had him on an appetite stimulant. I just, you know, it's just sad, man. And, you know, and Sammy's like, just wants to hang out with his buddy. But Buster doesn't feel well. Been doing the fluids. I, I don't know. I really can't, I really can't handle it that well. It, it's interesting because I have a vet that I used to work with over at Gateway, Dr. Modesto McLean, and uh, he was a great guy and he's sort of not, not doing as much anymore. He put down both of my cats with me, Monkey and LaFonda, honest guy. He had told me that, it, you know, if he wasn't, available anymore that I could email him and I emailed him and he's been you know texting with me and helping me through this trying to treat this cat and you know what a it's just it's just great when you meet people that you know love their job know how to do their job are willing to help you know just out of the goodness of the guy's heart you know and he's you know he's willing to help me and he's been helping me and we got him on some medicine and then this other weird thing happened because when I took the cat Buster to Gateway here in uh, Los Feliz, which is, I've been going there for like 20 years. And then I had to go back and this woman was there, this Dr. Uh, Horgan. And it turns out, like I was talking to Modesto about Horgan and I'm like, where does she work now? And he's like, I don't know, but her husband writes on a show, you know, that uh, the United States of Al or whatever it is. And, uh, you know, and, and he used to be in the army. They were both in the army. I'm like, oh, wow, that's cool. And then just by coincidence, I'm talking to uh, Fahim Anwar at the comedy store last night in the dressing room. And he said, he's writing on that show. And I'm like, do you know this guy? He was in the army and his wife's a vet veterinarian. And she, and he's like, yeah, I know that guy. And I'm like, can you find out from him <laughs> whether she's still seeing patients somewhere, whether she's uh, working somewhere as a veterinarian. And it turns out she runs her own shop and, you know, does uh, you know, a sort of house call business and I'm fucking, I'm psyched. So I, I emailed her today. So I'm covered veterinarily speaking, but that doesn't mean Buster's, you know, not sick. 
I hope he gets better. You know, it, it, when you have cats and you, you, their life is disrupted, your life is disrupted, and it's very easy to see the whole world through that disruption and lose hope in everything, which I'm battle with anyways. But you just have to, you know, I'm trying to compartmentalize it. You know, I've had these cats. Yeah, I just didn't want to deal with a dying cat yet. That's all. You know, you know what's going to happen. But it'd rather happen at the right time, not out of nowhere and for reasons unknown. But that's fucking life, isn't it? Happy New Year. Is that what I meant to say? So look, David Mannheim, that's his name from the Dopey Podcast. You can listen to Dopey wherever you get your podcasts. And you can go to dopeypodcast.com for other Dopey Nation stuff. Shirts, hats, socks, hoodies. The guy makes everything. The Dopey with the Dopey brand. But look, this guy, you know, tried to make a go of show business, got, you know, got got off the track with the drugs, with the opioids, with the dopesters, but always kept his job at Katz's. I'm telling you, man, quality meat. You give me enough quality meat, maybe you get on the show. I'm kidding. You know, the Jew thing, too. And the, the you know, addiction thing. Anyways. This is me talking to David Mann. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. What's up with the broken hammer? Is that loud enough for you? Yeah, it sounds great. It's all right? Yeah. Uh, The broken hammer. What is the story on that? I don't even remember anymore where I found that. It's been there, you know, But I figured there's like a mythological story to how it broke. No, I found it like that. And I can't remember where it turned up or why like the other stuff some of it has stories like these these weird pieces of decayed boat engines nice are from Kauai. the mushroom was made by a fan i've got the mitzi driver's licenses i've got this old you know lizard cup that was something that i grew up with right and, uh, that's one of the original wtf cups this stuff uh, this is something that a fan made and this little lafond is a fan made Awesome. And uh, this, I got this at the record pre- pressing place. That's a that's a record that hasn't been through the squish yet. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, this this green thing, the green ashtray was actually given to me by, on some birthday, by a guy who I got sober with, Vietnam vet, and I have no idea what happened to that guy. And I can't even remember the guy's name, which is sad. But it, you know, in terms of sobriety, like I don't know you. How do I know you? You know, I do know you now. 
I hear you. You know me as well as you know me. You're going to know me better after this conversation. I well, guess. I mean, I listened to the little of the podcast as much as I could. As much as you could stomach. <laughs> <laughs> but but that's nothing. It has n- that, that's not a comment on you. I don't listen to any podcast. Um, My friend was saying, you know he's not going to listen to your podcast. I was like... No, he's not going to listen to my podcast. I've been on it. But my friend said, you won't listen to anyone's podcast. And I said, but I listened to his. Well, that's right, because you had to learn somewhere. I had to learn somewhere. Yeah. But I was on your podcast. You were incredible on my podcast. Was I, though? You have a lot. You know, there, it seems like there's better guys to tell the, the dark, disgusting, bottom-feeding, bottom-hitting, gangrenous fucking criminal stories about uh, addiction than me. So people know that you have pestered me for years, not unlike Dean, like Delray, who pestered me for a long time as well. Uh, you know, I, I, I like you guys. I like you, and I, I was happy you were doing it. And and then, you know, o- over time, I start to realize, well, you know, he, obviously he's got a story. It sounds sad. It sounds exciting. It sounds partially showbiz-oriented and, deli- and deli-oriented. So uh, eventually I come around to like, all right, is it, is it going to be annoying to talk to him? And then, Potentially, and you know, you, you have given me a lot of special treatment with meat. Uh, not only you know Katz's meat and products and uh, attire, but uh, dopey attire. And it's like total debauchery. A lot of good meat. Every everything we make is good. No, I know, but but like anything else, there's you know some days are better than others. How many people eat the corned beef on a given day? That most people are going to eat the fucking pastrami. No one's going to eat the brisket at Katz's, so it's hit or miss, right? Where I am with meat, and real quick. <laughs> I'm just going to be really quick with this. <laughs> I can't eat pastrami anymore. Yeah. If the corned beef is perfect, yeah. I think it's better than the pastrami. Of course. And then a... perfect brisket. That's perfect. a whole other level. Uh, Carnegie used to have a good brisket. I ne- you know, I never ate at the Carnegie. But like uh, Second Avenue Deli was a pastrami place. Katz's is a pastrami place. Really. I mean, that's what the guys come for, right? Well, that's what we push on them, and it's what everybody comes for. But the pastrami is, is legendary, but back in the Hand 70s- cut everything's hand cut but back in the 70s the corned beef was the thing and it changed in the 80s that place was garbage wow there's too many junkies the do- <laughs> the dopey was too thick they, they didn't have stalls on the bathroom doors in katz's in, in up until like 93 because i just remember junkies. when i went there i went there when i was a very little kid my earliest memory of katz's is driving in with my grandfather i probably told you that story the tongue story right in bayonne from bayonne and it, like it never went away. I remember going into that place, smelling that place, seeing it. And it was late at night, and it wasn't like it was not crowded. It was like it was like a dope run for tongue. It's a real thing. But they, like the old owner would walk around the store and say, "Oh, you come to get your fix." Yeah, oh, really. And so it's like classic dope run. That's but what like, he says to everybody. What's your history at that place? How do you like? Why are you part of the fabric there? You, you've been working there since you were a kid. Well, my history is that my father's second cousin bought the place in oh. the in the 80s. Oh really? They they his father-in-law bought the place and I got cousined in in high school. Uh-huh. And I would like work there in the summers and like I lived on the Lower East Side and I'd work there. So that was the first owner after the Katzes? Mm, basically. Yeah. It was like the Katzes and another family and yeah. it got passed down and passed down and passed down and then the current owner's grandfather bought in with my dad, my cousin yeah. and his father. And and that's how I got into it. Then I like went into show business, and I became a horrible heroin addict, and I fell out of Katz's. Well, we can go back. So, how Jewish did you grow up? Orthodox? No, I, I grew up on uh, the island. Where? I grew up in Manhattan. Oh, I, really? I grew up on Twenty Seventh Street and Eighth Avenue. What's your dad do? He's a teacher. 
Oh, so you grew up working class. Work, I work up in. I grew in up Manhattan. in bucolic middle class Jewishness, and my dad was raised Orthodox, and he was like a Talmudic scholar as a kid. But then, really? as soon as he got into science, he was like, "I don't believe in God. I don't believe in this." Wait, so wait. <laughs> How can you be like a, 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 a child prodigy in Talmudic scholarship? What do you mean as a kid? Well, he was like his rabbi's number one guy. So he's a yeshiva kid? No, just in the school in Queens. He went to this Orthodox school in Queens and yeah. his, his rabbi was like, you are the guy. And as soon as he You're started- You're the guy? That was a lot of pressure. I know. But as soon as he started studying science, he was like, I At don't believe- At the same school or different school? No, in his regular school. Oh, see. He wound up going to like Stuyvesant. Then he got out. He got out. And now he calls himself an orthodox atheist, and the only thing he likes is the music and the food and the jokes. Sure. He's out of everything else. But he doesn't like, but the music, food, and jokes, but that also, community. He, he likes, may not be an orthodox community, but he sounds like a Jewy Jew. He's a Jewy Jew, but we, I was raised conservative. I yeah. had to be bar mitzvah, even though there was no God. Yeah. I never really learned right, so, Hebrew right. very well. Yeah, me neither. My, right. my dad still to this day gives me shit that he wrote out my Haftorah in phonetics. To oh, this really? day, I have a disappointment. Oh, really? You couldn't even sit down with the cantor and learn the fucking thing? I could have, but like he wrote it out. He writes it out in phonetics. You and, can't read Hebrew? Not well. Well, no, who can? But you never bothered to learn it for even the Haftorah to read the Hebrew? I don't know. I think I don't. My recollection is is, is How long shaking. was the Haftorah? It was, I could do the whole thing right now. Oh, so you had a short one. Was it like, that was real conservative. Did they not make you do the whole thing? I did. I did the Torah <laughs> portion. Yeah. I did it nice. I learned it like a song. Sure. I yeah, learned it like do a it. song. Right, yeah, And yeah. I didn't read it in Hebrew. <laughs> do you remember yours? <laughs> and then you're like, it's just, it's just a lot of that up and down shit. Yeah, good times. Mel- uh, the melody's tight. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't. I don't think I memorized mine. I, I think I, I. I learned it, but then I, I did read it because I, I didn't like. So you're saying you reading it makes you a better Jew than me? No, no, no. I just like I was. I, I, I was sort of able to do it. You know, I, I didn't know what it meant. It's interesting, though. I like I don't know if I was able to do it or not. All that I know is I don't think my dad had the patience to hear me trying to. You sound didn't learn it out. like Aleph, Bet, Gimel. I <laughs> learned <laughs> it. I learned it. But in our Hebrew school, they were more interested in teaching us how Israeli tanks could destroy Syrian tanks and Jordanian tanks. Oh, really? And all we learned about was like irrigation and tanks in Israel. Yeah, that's weird. I come from a different like. I don't know if that had really taken over the Hebrew schools yet when I went, because with us, it was just uh, black and white films of bodies being shoveled into pits. Right. Well, that was a different, a little bit of a different, different class. Era. It was, it was, I think, I don't know, like, it was all about the land of milk and honey and oh, irrigation yeah. and this and that. Uh, and um, I, did, I didn't even want to have a bar mitzvah. Yeah. My mother said, it's my party, David. I, we're having this for me. You just do the thing and you can keep the money. So wait, you're, are you of the generation that had themed... Bar mitzvahs? Did you have a theme? I'm of the generation, but thank God I didn't have a theme. Didn't have a theme. No, but we had a really corny DJ mm. at the bar mitzvah yeah. who called himself Captain Bar Mitzvah. Where's that guy now? I probably get him on your show. How, well, you're slacking. He's Go pr- find Captain Bar Mitzvah. Every time I see a DJ on Long Island, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> Captain Bar Mitzvah. It was, and I was he probably had three other names. That was right. just a business card for Jews. Oh my God. <laughs> Just it was, I was so embarrassed. Might be Disco Danny on another business card. Right for the Jews, he was Captain Bar Mitzvah. He yeah. did a song. He did a horrible rap. I'm Captain Bar Mitzvah. It was terrible. It was very embarrassing. It was it. it you mean your friends were embarrassed? Yeah, my friends were laughing at me, and I was embarrassed. How old are you? Uh, Forty-seven. So you were were you a cool kid then? Like were your friends like hip hop guys or? 
like, I went. Like, what, how, how old? When did that all happen? Because hap- I'm 10 years older than you. It happened. Must I, have been during your time. I went to the nerdiest school in the world mm. in Manhattan. Do you have brothers and sisters? I have an older sister. How's she doing? She's good. She's good. Did she, she turn out all right? She turned out okay. She married actually an Orthodox Jew. Oh my God. How do, is she wearing a wig now? She's not. All she's right. not all from me, but she's doing good. Uh, I went to school at the at this very, very, very great public high school and elementary school that were connected in Manhattan. It was like the the gifted school. Oh, I think, I, what's it called? Hunter. Oh, yeah, I think I heard of that. Lin-Manuel Miranda went right, right, there. Right, right, Fucking right. these kinds of people. I think like, you know, I, I, I don't think I know any kids that went there. What about your mom? My mom was a teacher too, but she died. She did? She died, uh, I want to say 12 or 13 years ago. That's terrible. Yes. How did she die? Leukemia. Oh my God. That's how Lynn died. Acute myeloid leukemia though. Lynn didn't know she had it. Just like consumed her in a week. That was uh, horrible. And I didn't get to tell you in person how sorry I was about that. Because the last time I saw you, you were telling before when you were like, she likes to wear the cat's hoodie. And I was like, oh, what a beautiful, you know, so my deepest uh, love and condolences. Terrible. This is just terrible. This fucking awful disease. Did your mom like- She died quick. Did she, she, did she have it a long time? No. She had it for like two years, and she just dropped dead. Fucking worst. And my dad was just- Just dropped dead? No, ther- no- Quickly. She went to the hospital, I, and, and I came home. I lived in Los Angeles when she, when she got it. Yeah. And I was a fucking disaster in Los Angeles when she got it. Oh. I was on methadone. I was on heroin. But it's like that thing, like, I, I think Lynn must have had it a long time. Just didn't know. But she, your, your mom got diagnosed with it, so she knew. She knew, and she knew she was going to go quickly, and no one else thought she was going to go quickly. Two years quickly? That's pretty quickly, because she, she didn't have it so bad, and then all of a sudden it all happened at once. It's devastating. All right, so let's go. We'll get back to like L.A., but so you're going to Hunter. You're, what, gifted? You're a creative guy? I got in when I was four years old. Like, I took a test. What, how old are you supposed to be when you go? Four. All right, so that's nothing special. But my point is that <laughs> my point is that the school for me was from four yeah. to seventeen. Yeah. So I was pretty cool amongst the nerdiest oh, so kids in the universe. Once you get in at four, you're in for the full ride. You're in. And they asked me to leave a bunch of times too, but I was like, I don't think I'm going to leave. Why? Because I didn't want to go to like a, a rough and tumble school and deal with it. I enjoyed being like cool at, in the nerd school. So what did, why'd they ask you to leave? Because I was not keeping up with the nerds. Oh. I probably had undiagnosed ADHD. That's what all addicts say. Yeah, probably. <laughs> hopefully. Hopefully I wasn't just stupid. Hey, every, every addict story yeah. is like, you know, I just think uh, you know, <laughs> undiagnosed depression, yeah. undiagnosed ADHD. I might be autistic even. Yeah, I might be on the spectrum. Yeah. A- absolutely. Uh, it's a great junkie excuse. I, they just didn't have the medicine then. I, I I wonder though, like my mom would say to me when I was a kid. Yeah, I think you. She ADHD wasn't really talked about in that way no. when I was a kid. She None said of it was. She said, I think you have a learning disability, uh, which made me feel really bad. You know what I mean? Like I like because I, I was also dyslexia is the other one. I didn't have dyslexia. I yeah. wish I had dyslexia yeah. because then I could say oh, I was dyslexic. Because the other ones are vague, very vague. It's, yeah. The other one yeah. seems yeah, like it's my fault that I'm just tests, an idiot. A lot of tests, right? I just got like he's unmotivated. Well, were you un- were you unmotivated? I honestly think, you know, after having done this show for a while, that I I probably do have some ADHD. 
Like, you know, I can get shit done, but I get a lot, I'm, I got a lot of things going all the time. I can't really focus on anyone for, uh, when I do, I hyper-focus, but in general, a lot of things are happening. I get them all done, but, the, you know, it, and also just what I retain. It's more about retention, and I know that I'm blowing out my brain with my phone and with how busy I am and everything, but, like, yesterday seems like a year ago. Like, I can't, you know, manage time anymore. No, I know what you mean. I, I feel like I do the same thing, but I do. I, I thought it was like part of my recovery oh. to be as busy and as scattered as I could possibly be, yeah. so I don't have to deal with. My I hold. Brain. I keep it all together, but I don't like. I don't compartmentalize well. That's the deal. Everything sort of operates at the same frequency. I think we're we're pretty similar with yeah, that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So all right. So you're at Hunter. You're four. You're doing it. Doing it. Where's your it sister happen. going? She went. She went. She started in some private school and mm-hmm. wound up at like PS one hundred and four. But then she wound up at LaGuardia, the music and art. What is she music? She was a singer. Uh, still, no. It's Gave over. it all up for the Orthodox. It's over. Her her singing career ended. I did Hunter uh, all the way through, and um, and I was a really good kid. Yeah. Like I wasn't particularly good in school. What were your interests? You're going to be like in show business. I wanted to. I actually got into MTV when I was in high school. But there's no deli involved yet. The deli came in in between high school and college. I just needed somewhere to work, so I started working at Katz's. That must have been exciting. It was awesome. It was awesome, except for like- Because you wanted to be an old Jewish guy, right? I didn't want to be an old Jewish guy. <laughs> and like I worked with all these Spanish guys. There were a few, oh, there were a few Jews left. None of the old Jewish deli men left? A couple. I worked, when I worked at a deli, I became old Jewish man. I became an old Jewish man in the last 13 years, big time. Like no, to, but like I was like built for it, like in my 20, uh, 20s. Like I, before I graduated college, I worked at a, one of the last real Jewish delis in Boston. And there, were, like, there was Abe and Robert. Abe was shell-shocked from Korea. Robert was like 100, and he would just sit there on the, you know, the, the, not, it's not the, uh, the, not the hand slicer, but the one that just goes yeah, yeah, yeah. for the corned beef. Terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> Terrifying machine. Robert would just sit there eating pieces and you know, <laughs> cutting corned beef. Right. And then there was Sonny, who was the cook, who made the puddings and the briskets and everything in the kitchen. And and fucking, what the hell, Sheldon But that's the, the 10 years. The 10 years between us gives you this cast of characters still living. 10 that, years later, true. they're all dead. That's true. You know, there was a couple alive at Katz's. And I, when I got there, yeah. I'm working on the floor. I'm working on the grill. Four means waiting. Like, no, bussing tables. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like running around with a cart. Yeah. And then I worked on the back counter and I would cut meat with the slicer and yeah. I wound up filleting my finger off. And I got workers comp for the summer and they paid me and it was like the greatest summer is that ever. Where the, is that where the drug started? The, the drug started around there. I was, I was playing music then. I was uh, in bands then. So what do you play? I play harmonica. I play a little bit of guitar. And that's it? I, yeah, that's it. So a little piano. What kind of band? Then I played in a ska and reggae band. Harmonica? Yeah, it was good. We had a good little band. We had we had a deal. So you you had a record deal? Yeah, we had a little record deal. All right, so you come out of high school. You didn't do that well. Didn't focus. I wound up on MTV uh, when I was like 17, like doing, I was an intern and I wound up hosting some segments for MTV. You were interning at MTV when you were 17. What's What era of MTV is this? Who's the 19, big shot? 
Kurt Loder. We would hang out in Kurt Loder's office and he'd smoke weed and listen to the Harder They Come soundtrack. And we uh, were like, this is the coolest thing ever. Wow. First season of The Real World when we were there. Uh, it was like that era. And me and my one of my very best friends were just kind of hanging out. And I was just like, we got to get on MTV. And we would just go from office to office to office. Yeah. Do you know Alex Coletti? He started MTV Unplugged. He's a big music guy. You would love him. I don't I don't know. I probably do. But I don't I don't know. He did all the like Neil Young unplugged. I know the Nirvana bald guy, the, the shaved head. Which one? The heavy metal guy. Matt Pinfield. Yeah, yeah. Pinfield I know. He's I've been on him. Dopey twice. Yeah, I've, met, I've seen him around. Uh, I knew I knew the guy that directed some of the unplugged because he directed a show that I started on TV. On. Robert Small uh, did a couple of, I don't remember which unplugs, but he, that was his claim He was to fame. He was the director and he worked with Eileen Katz. Okay. Who was there when you were there? Yes. Her and Herzog. Yeah, yeah. I knew Herzog. Herzog actually said, put me in a room and said, me and my friend were the future of MTV. And six months later, it was over. And the next time I saw Doug Herzog, I was a waiter on the world yacht. And I was yeah. like, what happened? So, so you're there, you're interning. And what happens? What's the big star turn where you're hosting segments? Just like they wanted to give us a chance. So they did. You and who? Me and my best friend. What happened to that guy? He's a teacher on the Lower East Side. Everyone's a teacher in Devin. Well, a lot of middle class Jews. All right. A lot of middle class Jews. A lot, uh, of, a lot of intellectual middle class Jews who become teachers. He's also a novelist. It's noble. It's noble. It's good. It's an important profession if people like it. So what were the segments? We, we went with the heavy metal band Slaughter mm. to a record signing in New Jersey in their limo. And mm. we were just like kids interviewing the heavy metal kids outside yeah. and hanging out with Slaughter. Is this before uh, heavy metal parking lot? Yeah. Okay. It was up all Their song was Up All Night, Sleep All Day. Yeah. And it was like, we didn't like the kind of music. Yeah. And we were just like, what are we doing here? Yeah. I got so nauseous in their limo. <laughs> when I got out, I just puked all over the place. Was, Great. Did you get that on camera? No. And, uh, and we did another segment. Didn't do the real thing. Yeah. No. We got another segment where we went to this bullshit toy show at the Javits Center. And then the show got canceled. Uh-huh. It was like a high school magazine show. The show got canceled, and I was an in, and I, when I was talent and an intern, yeah. uh, it was for high school credit. In my high school at Hunter, right. your senior year, your intercollege year, you do an internship. And you get credit. You get credit, but we never got the producer to sign the form. Oh. So I forged the signature. They found out- Who did, the school or MTV? Both. The yeah. school asked M the guy, and he's like, no, he forged the signature, and I lost credit for the internship. And that was the Just end. Just for being a, uh, a fraud? Yeah, basically. But I mean, but you did the work, but you were going to be punished anyways? Yes. And I, and I was punished. And I to had teach to teach you a lesson? I guess. There was a lot of lessons. What they did, I, I actually directed a play in my high school, and they said, your punishment is we're not going to give you credit for directing the play. Why? Because they're dicks. Who? The, the principal, Dr. Miserandino, if he's this still was, alive. But, but this was relative to the, the fraudulent signature? Yeah. They decided because I forged the signature that this I was going to be punished. And that's how they punished me. I didn't that, expect to be talking about this stuff, by the way. But it's interesting, though, because that, that's the beginning of you know knowing that you're kind of a scumbag. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough way. That's a tough way to put it. It was like we didn't show up to get the signature, and and Devin was like, "I can do it," and I was like, "Do it," and Devin didn't get in but trouble. The, but the solution could have been like, "Let's just go back and get the signature." I know. <laughs> I, I, my whole life could have gone differently. But would I be here now? Is but the then, question. But then you're like, "Nah, man. Let's just fuck let's it. just do it." You know. But yeah. I wasn't really a scumbag yet. No, I, not it, not really a scumbag. But that there was, uh, you know, because look, I. I I don't know if I've ever even told that story. I was suspended from school for 
copying some guy's paper. And and it was it was just I did a bad job of it. It was like a it was like a, a prose thing. It wasn't like like a Could you use his words too well or something? It something. was obvious. Like I, and it was like it wasn't that my nature wasn't like I could have done it, but this was my problem. It's like I just never did shit. Like I'd wait too long and then I'd panic. I was the guy that, you know, after an entire year of a class where we we're supposed to read the Chronicles of Narnia, I had read none. And I was, you know, the day before, the weekend before, I was trying to read all of them. So I didn't cheat because, like, I didn't know what to do. I just waited too long and I panicked and I bullied some kid into, you know, giving me, and we both got suspended. That guy. I remember his name. I'm a sorry Brian Bond. I wonder where Brian Bond is right now. He's a nice, he was a nice guy and I was just sort of worming him. But but, but look, we both have that that, that, that bad moral valve because that leads to uh, drug addiction or it might be just a component of it. It might be. I mean, like, I, 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 I was just like a scrub, you know, in high school. I didn't pay attention. I didn't care. Wow. All I wanted to do was have a good time. How many of these segments did you do for MTV? Three. And they all got on? Yeah. You, you could have been going. I could have been going. I mean, when I say they said I was the future of MTV, Doug Herzog actually said to me, you're the future of MTV. And then you, you signed his name somewhere. No, I signed the guy's name that we signed was Charlie Singer. He was this producer. Yeah. And, and he had- he you had apologized this, to him? Did you make amends? I, I don't remember. What kind of fucking recovery are you doing? He had an office and his yeah. office was covered with Yes posters yeah. from the band Yes. I, I just know. could never go back. To, I could never go back to see <laughs> that fucking shit. The prog rock stuff? Yeah. I can't go back to that office to get his signature. I All should... those pictures of Rick Wakeman and Steve Howe everywhere I can't. Exactly. Yeah. There's no, there. maybe I can make an amend, but I mean, I, I, I paid the price for it. And um, I could have done something with that and, and it didn't happen. And uh in the ska band. Yeah, I mean, we, we got signed. We put out a record. It was cool. What was the name of it? The first band was called The Percolators, but the record that got signed was The Insteps, and we made a record, and yeah. the record wasn't good. And uh, How, what, what record company get deal with? Another Planet. So, like, you couldn't get on MTV because you're the fraud guy. You're the fucking... Nah, I was just... I, you know what? I, I didn't even get on the record. I only played harp on one track on the record. I was in college, and I never went back, and I just played in bands in college. I played in a soul band. I played in a weird, funky hip-hop band. I played harmonica in the soul band. It was like a 12 For how piece. many songs? Yeah, I mean, now I'm starting to doubt the the story. So you did one song on a record with a band. Did well, you sing on other tracks? Or no, I didn't. So I'm you not. were on one track. On that, on yeah, record. I played in that band, but then like I kind of diverted. I guess Wait, this isn't worth telling the story. No, it's a good story. Yeah, it's just I like the embellishment. Like you played in these two bands. I now, was in now. the band, and then by the time the record came out, I only got on one track. And the worst thing See, is this that- is, This is the guy that forges a signature to not know. take a trip into the city. I know. The guy who says he was on a record, and it's like playing harmonica on one track. Dude, the fucked up thing <laughs> is that the track that I was on was a hidden track. <laughs> the track that I'm on is like is at the end of the last track on the record. So it's there. So you didn't really have a, no. a, a music, my music career. career. No, no. I don't know why I'm here. Like I didn't have a music career. I don't know why you're here either. I, I, didn't, I mean, like <laughs> Halle Berry, it's really Guillermo del Toro. It's d- about this about corned beef and Listen, and and and, and, and heroin hoodies. and heroin. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna get to that. But uh, so you're in college. Did you finish that? I did. Uh, I got kicked out of my school. Which college? I went to Ithaca College. Yeah. And I state got state school. No, oh. it was a private school. Ithaca, right? I uh, I applied to go to a state school, which was SUNY Purchase, and I got busted at the end of my second year in Ithaca College with an ounce of weed 
and they suspended me, but I had gotten accepted into purchase, so I transferred. Did you, did you tell them it was someone else's weed at first? No, it was in my pocket. Oh, fuck. It was huh. bad. It was huh. bad. Um, and I wound up transferring to purchase, and I did really well at purchase, but that's where I did heroin for the first time. But the weed, like, it's so weird now, like, that wouldn't even fucking matter. I know. They're you, selling you can... Bud on Houston Street right now in a little fucking coffee cart. You go out of Katz's, there's a Bud coffee cart. Really? Yeah. And you don't even need a card there, huh? Nothing. It's just totally legal. Totally legal. It's like, like I can't think about that shit. Not what... stores yet. Just, like, weird coffee carts, trucks, fucking dudes. No, but and... just the fact that, you know, I can go down the street. Yeah. And, like, because, like, I mean... It's like you, you can say when you're in recovery, like, nah, it wasn't my thing. This wasn't my thing. Heroin wasn't my thing. It wasn't. But, you know, weed was just like fucking breakfast. Who gives a fuck? I always had weed on me. Did you like weed? Yeah. I loved weed. I loved it. I loved it. But you've been out here forever, 22 yeah. years sober, watching weed get fucking legal. I don't pay attention. And I work around booze all the time. Like, that's like the one thing that like I can honestly say about working a program is that the obsession will be lifted. Like, I can honestly say that. I don't know. That is the magic. I'm not sure how it happened, but I work in bars all the fucking time. I see people, like, you know, I, a lot of the women I've been with in, in the last decade or two have been weed people. And I just, like, I don't do it. I don't think about it. I mean, it's annoying. And sometimes when I smell weed, I'm like, ooh. Yeah. But, but like, I don't, like, I never get into that zone of, like, fuck, it's legal. You know what I mean? Is it, is it still bad for me? No, I don't. I don't think about it either. I, I, what I think about is getting really old and yeah. smoking bong hits and listening to the Almond Brothers. <laughs> like really old, though. You know what I mean? Like eighty, seventy-five. That's rock the big chair. goal. That's yeah. the big goal. When it, when it's all done, man. Yeah, I'm gonna smoke some weed and listen to the Almond Brothers. With the Almond Brothers, why that one? I don't know. There's just something so interesting, buddy. Which album? I'd listen to like Eat a Peach. Uh huh. Listen to Eat a Peach. Live at the Fillmore. I'd rather listen to Eat a Peach. Huh. I just love hearing Dickie Betts sing. Really? Yeah. This is a weird thing. I love hearing, hearing him sing Blue Sky. I just, I think it's great. Wow. And I love the roads on Blue Sky where it's like building. I just, yeah. that song just does something for me. My wife makes fun of me that I love Blue Sky so it's, But that's the only one? No, no. I like, I like all of it, but I like when Dickie Betts sings more than anything else in the album. That's crazy because Greg's the great singer. I like Dickie's voice better. Okay, fine. You like Greg's voice better? I do like Greg's voice. I like old Greg voice. That like Midnight Rider, that's the one. Oh and, yeah, Midnight and, that's whip, a whole... and Whipping Post. Come on. That, okay. I'm with you. I'm yeah. with you. All right, so here you are. You you know, you're doing the bands, you're out on a weed bust out of Ithaca and you go to SUNY Purchase. Yeah. And some guy gives you dope. Yeah. <laughs> Basically every I mean What it, year is that? It was ninety four, ninety five. Oh, so, so the white stuff's all over, the good dope. It was it, it seemed good. It seemed good to me. Like I, when I was there in the late 80s, that's when everyone was dropping dead. That's when they realized that they could, you know, if they didn't cut the dope, they could get kids like you on it because right. people would snort it. You know, before that, it was just sort of like stepped on all the fuck because a bunch of, you know, strung out idiots were shooting it. But somewhere in the late 80s, they're like, why can't we make this for kids? You it know, if, Yeah. If, if, we, if we don't cut it as much, they can snort it and we'll get them. And some, I, I had a roommate, it was my best friend at the time, and he had a friend who was like a rocker guy, Yeah. and he was always on the Lower East Side, and he was addicted to heroin since he was like 16. Shooting it? No, at that point, I think he was snorting it. Right. And he came up to purchase, yeah. and he busted out a bunch of lines of dope, and Ooh. I and I did a line, and I got fucking destroyed. I was puking. I woke up with some girl that I 
didn't want to wake up with. Did you do anything? What do you mean with the girl? Yeah. I think so. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and I was like, this is too much for me. I was like, this is... I, I was that was like, my experience when I snorted my first heroin. Just projectile vomited and slept. Yeah. And I'm was, like, like, but I used to do a joke about it where, where you know, I was like, this isn't for me. But but if you really, if you're a real addict and, and you're a heroin addict, after that fucking first experience, you're like... I'll get the hang of this. I heard you say that joke at the at the movie at the yeah. movie thing. Yeah, yeah. No, that's uh, for me. I I got sick and I was like, I don't want to do this. Yeah, you know. And right. I, and I loved weed. I loved weed so much. It's like I think it's a it's not, it's a pretty short jump from weed to heroin in a way, in terms it's, of the type of high. It's very similar. It's yeah. just intensity. Yeah. And, and and by the time I became a heroin addict, which was years later. I needed something different from the drug. Yeah, I, I had my neurotic, my neuroses was too Wait, intense. But so you start, you snort. What happens though? Like, what makes you recommit? We re, re uh, try again. Well, I, I kind of got a little career uh, make you know in television uh, after I graduated from Purchase. So uh, how many, how long after you did the dope? What you uh, junior year? I did dope in junior year. But I you're just chipping? You're just here and there? No, never. Oh, I did it one, one time. Okay. And I never did it again until I was I was hosting, or I was uh, producing the show. So you graduate college. Yeah. Communications degree? No, art history. Really? Art history and photography. Really? Yeah. I started in communications at Ithaca, and I became a stoner, and I, and I was like watching art history classes. Did you do well? Yeah, I wound up doing well at purchase. Like, well, history, like uh, you were taking pictures or, or uh, history of photography? I was taking pictures and I was doing art history. Art history was my major, photo was my minor. Huh. My whole childhood, I was just obsessed with TV, watching television. Yeah. Like, I was raised by the television, basically. Yeah. And then when I got into college, because I became a stoner, I got really interested in, like, beat shit and fucking art yeah, and yeah, music and yeah. all that shit became like really interesting to me that's one way to go in college yeah that's, that's the that's the jewish son of teachers way to go pre-heroin addict yeah, yeah pre-heroin yeah, totally. that, that's a guy who's not worried about money way to go exactly yeah exactly i wasn't worried about money yeah. and uh and i and i wanted to be cool like i wanted sure. to like in my head i was like it was still on the table that i could be like John Lennon or something in my mind sure. like the fantasy I, I have that today yeah I do too <laughs> unfortunately I still do too um, but like so that all interested me and, and it kind of worked with the drugs and, and with psychedelics and all that shit kind yeah. of all happened at the same time and when I got out I like I got some bullshit jobs like working in promotion and then a buddy of mine was working for MTV and he sprained his ankle and he said, do you want, do you want a PA at this company? Yeah. And it was a, it was a tiny company called Burley Bear Network. I know Burley Bear. That was owned by uh, Lorne Michaels. Yeah. And, uh, and I got a job there and the first day I get there, the guy looks at me and he says, just so you know, I've done more drugs than you ever do, but I want to hire you. What was his name? His name was James Mares. I remember Burley Bear. It was sort of this college angle. It was this college angle. Yeah. And I worked there. And I rose through the ranks very quickly. Like, I started as a PA. They had a show called Half-Baked before Dave Chappelle yeah, did yeah, a movie yeah, called yeah. Half-Baked. And it's before Vice did their Cooking with sure, Bud show. Sure, sure. And it was this stoner guy who, like, cooked food high for stoner kids. Yeah. And my job was to make sure he wasn't too high, but make sure that he was high enough. So I had to bring weed, buy weed, bring it to the set, smoke <laughs> him up. If he got too high, like give him a sandwich, like let him regulate <laughs> his high. And um, and then they had me on air. Paid enabler. 
Yeah, basically. Yeah. Production assistant, no, a PE, a paid enabler. Well, I was yeah. a marijuana, I was the marijuana coordinator, I think. Wait, was the, guy, the guy who hired you knew that? Yeah, I mean, he hired me as a PA, but he said, listen, he-, he Why did he tell you he'd done more drugs than you? I think he wanted to impress me. Oh, okay. He was like a, he was like a frat NYU oh, right. guy who right, was a right, total right, Keith right. Richards disciple. Like, he lived for Keith. Okay. And like, he wanted to be this wild That's guy. counter to frat, but okay. I know, All right, okay. I know. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's, I think he was Canadian. Huh. I know. Very uh, mishmash. Yeah. Mishmash guy. So you're there on set getting guys high for their job. And that turned into like an on-air job there. And then, You were on air? Yeah. I was on air there. And Doing what? Just like hosting. They do hour segments and I would throw to the shows and yeah. do dumb shtick. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then- they had a music video show and they were like, do you want to produce this music video show? Yeah. And I was like, yeah. And at the same time, they, the first video they gave me was a KRS-One video from, yeah. from Boogie Down Productions. And I saw that KRS-One was playing at Tramps. And I was like, well, what if I go interview him? Right. And they were like, cool. So I went and I interviewed KRS-One and we With shot the microphone show. that said Burley Bear on it? I don't think it said anything uh, on it. I didn't have the little box on the no, mic. Oh. No, I know we didn't have. I didn't have. They didn't give yeah, me yeah, one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then they let me turn it into my own show. Then they they made the music video show separate, and we started a little show called Shuffle. And I interviewed anybody that I could get in Manhattan that would be playing a show. Like I interviewed the Wait. Flaming Lips. I interviewed sure. Fleetwood Mac. Irving Plaza people. Yeah. yeah, Irving Plaza people. Tony yeah. Iommi, Bob Weir. Oh, those are big. Yeah, it was cool. But I, by the time I interviewed, did you know Jake? Fogelness? Yes, I did. <laughs> he won't give me his number, though, Jake Fogelness. Really? I think I, when he got to Burley Bear, I was smashed out on heroin, and he was smashed out on heroin, and we didn't acknowledge it. Like, we were uh, both there. He came in after I had established myself, and he was like a star, yeah. and I was very intimidated by him. Oh, so he... Oh, It was post-squirt. Oh, oh so, so you were already there, but he had made his name doing his own thing. At MTV. He At was MTV. like big time. Yeah, yeah, in his broom. Yeah. So when does the... So you're hosting shows, you're talking to Bob Weir, and is it, when do you start to get strung out? Then. <laughs> like two years before I talked to Bob Weir, I started to get strung out. But wait, what made you go back to dope? Okay. I was, I was like a location scout for yeah. their... Um, they had a terrible little college talk show, and they would send me out to campuses to find guests for their talk show, and like to scout it out, find audience, find guests. And I moved in one of my best friends into my apartment in Manhattan, and 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 when I got home, we had found a, a drug delivery service, and all the kids from Purchase were in my apartment to buy coke. Like they had come in to hang out with my friend, who was a total train wreck. Was he a coke dealer? My friend? Yeah. No. They, my friend My friend actually delivered weed around the city. His name was Todd. And and he invited the the, the Coke guy that he loved. He loved Coke. Yeah. And, and all these kids are in, in our apartment to get the Coke delivered. And I walked in. I had just been in East Lansing, Michigan. You a Coke Michigan. guy? No. And I'm like, fuck, this dude is in my apartment making all this money. What are you going to give me? He takes out two bags of heroin, throws them on the coffee table. From, he, he was from a delivery service called Indulge. And it was right when these delivery services were taking off. It was. A, I didn't know they did that. Yeah, it was a black card with a white silhouette of a guy they, with a top how, hat. You got to have someone vouch for you for that shit. Yeah, totally. And my my friend was a weed delivery guy. He knew a bunch of doormen who knew this Indulge company. Indulge comes with they fucking. Still around? I don't know. No, I, I don't think so. I think <laughs> they went out of business soon after. There's some this. people are like indulge. Write that down. See if I can. 
Dude, yeah. there's crazy drug deliveries in, in Manhattan, you know, yeah, still. Sure. Yeah. He had GHB, he had heroin, he had wow. coke, he had ecstasy, he probably had some doses somewhere on yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And he threw us two free bags of heroin. Yeah. And we snorted him, and I, and I was so high, and I didn't feel bad. I felt great. And in the morning, I woke up, I think we watched The Simpsons, and yeah. I passed out, and in the morning, I was like, I still, I still was high, I was like, this is how I want to feel. And I knew for the rest of my life. This is how I want to feel, but I knew that I couldn't handle because well, all the anxiety went away. Yes, because the... I think I think that's what what the appeal of it is. Outside of the orgasmic rush one gets from, you know, you know, slamming the shit. But I don't think that you can get that when he snorted it. Really, you can get pretty close at the first time. The first time you're not puking, you can get pretty close. Uh. It's different, but like if it's the first time you're snorting, I mean, the snorting definitely dulls, but. All I ever wanted in my life was to not care so much about everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I care so much about every stupid we, thing. Or you worry about shit. Worry, I mean, care. overthink. Is it really care? It's, yeah, I mean, I, you got a busy brain. It's the worst version of caring, because you're caring about the, the dumbest shit. Yeah, but that, I don't know if care is the right word, because I have it too, but I, 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 I wonder if there's a better word, because I think it's more of a, 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 a something... Uh, relative to obsession it's not really something relative to concern <laughs> it's neuroses meets obsession and all i wanted was the f i wanted to say i don't give a fuck yeah. and actually mean it and i never did until then yeah i'm finding a little of that's happening you know about some things as i get older than not giving a fuck I, i'm getting a little bit better at it too yeah, yeah, yeah. thank but god but i still get hung up on bullshit dude like it, but that's like you know you start to realize like this is just my way of uh of not of, of avoiding the real pain or avoiding the real sadness or avoiding the thing that's really bothering me. I'll just get hung up on like this morning in the rain. I had fucking four boxes of of that fucking soda, the the death, the liquid death or whatever. Yeah, that they sent. I have. I'm, I can open a store, but all the boxes were on the porch, so they were getting all wet. And I'm like, that's going to be a pain in the ass to deal with because I got to stack those boxes. And if the boxes within the boxes get wet, they're going to be all soggy. And I'm going to have cans all over the place. So I better reckon with this now. So in the morning, this morning after I took my car in, I'm unpacking you know, liquid death boxes so I can stack them in the fucking garage so they don't get all soggy. And it was important. What is that about? I hear you. I have liquid death in my garage, too. <laughs> I understand exactly what you're saying. Yeah. I can get very upset about stuff all the time, but when I... It's like I can get sick, but then you talk to somebody else. I mean, that's the, the joy of recovery is being able to deal with your shit by helping somebody else. Sure. And, and then when, they start texting you. Yeah, I know. I know. It, does, <laughs> it, it goes badly once in a while, but I've learned my lesson. I've yeah. learned my lesson. You learn how to... You, the, well, the great thing about recovery, really, if you can handle it, uh, is is what you do learn. Like all the stuff that you learn, that you don't realize you learn. Patience. Like it's like sit, the Karate Kid. Like sitting at meetings, going like, "Oh shit, not this fucking idiot." It's like, but then you realize one day, it's like, "Oh, this is part of it." Right. And then, uh, or the other thing is boundaries. Like you know, if you're going to sponsor somebody, keep it about recovery, or you're going to be out some money and maybe some merchandise. Did that happen with you? <laughs> Not really. But like because, you know, I have a, a slight profile, public profile, it becomes tricky for me to, to sponsor because I'm also, you know, a codependent and, and, and my boundaries are bad. So really, like I know guys that only sponsor through email. That's interesting. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, but, you know, like when you really think about like, you know, depending on what kind of person you are and how much you're going to engage in sponsorship. I mean, y you know, it takes a lot because if you get enmeshed with somebody 
you know, it, it's no longer about sponsorship. Like I had sponsors that were like, you know, just shut up and do this work and, and that's it. And I'll listen to you talk about bullshit and then I'll hang up. You know, that's hard for me. But that's what the job is. Yeah. Well, the job is to take you through the steps. That's it. My, my sponsor is like, he's like, he says, he's like a real Long Island guy. And he's like, just keep your fucking mouth shut. Don't fucking worry no, about that. that's the best that. kind. Call me tomorrow. That's the best kind. You because know? eventually those guys, though, you eventually get frustrated because you're not getting enough. Like, you know, you're not getting parented properly. And then you go find the fucking sponsor that's more like you. And then, you know, inside a few years, you're like, are you even my sponsor anymore? Right. Yeah. It's like, and I, I, I love, I, I, I actually have sponsees now, which shocked me. That's great. And I have a sponsor and it's, yeah. and it's working out nicely. But back then, fucking... I, I, as soon as I got my deal making my own show and they gave me like a, a contract for two years, I was like addicted to heroin. Like the next day, I was like, I can afford it. I didn't think I could afford it until then. Oh, wow. And it was like, it wasn't a lot of so, money. So, like, right after you woke up and said, I want to feel like this all the time, it was only a matter of how long? It was like a year and a half of doing it occasionally? Of, of doing it. You know, it's the old story. I did it once a week. Then I would do it on Wednesdays, right. Saturday, Sunday, Wednesday, yeah, yeah. Saturday, Sunday, Wednesday, yeah. Thursday. The week starts earlier and earlier. Yeah. yeah. And, and and it just, it, 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 but it didn't. Boy, you look forward to it though, right? I really loved it. <laughs> I really loved it. Wednesday can't get here soon enough, man. But I remember. But I'm not going to do it Tuesday. You know, you I'm not know, doing it today. You know the, the Lou Reed heroine, you know, when he says, I made a big decision. Like, I, I felt like I made a big decision, like I was going to do it, like I was in. Yeah. I remember thinking like, because I knew that I couldn't handle withdrawal, and I wasn't like lying to myself that I could ever not have it. I needed to have it every day, and I was like, that's what I'm doing. I remember. I was just like, they were paying me a it's lot like, of this money. This is my job. I grew up in low-income housing. Yeah. I got an apartment in low-income housing when I was 21. My yeah. mother put me on a list when I was 11. Yeah. I got the place when I was 21. It was $300 a month for a big studio on 24th Street and 8th Avenue. Yeah. And I was making like 100 grand a year and I couldn't pay for it. Oh, you wow. know, I just fucking- I just don't understand. What else were you doing? Heroin. I mean, I, but what is that habit? I mean, how, how you were just snorting it? Yeah, but I snorted a lot of it. I was, I, at the end of it, I was snorting like three hundred dollars a day, and really? then I and then I, and then it turned into shooting, and then I was shooting three hundred dollars a day. How the fuck? I mean, like, I, I guess your tolerance gets built up, but that's a lot of dime bags, dude. It's it's three bundles of heroin every day. Ten bags. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you get it, you get it cheaper, but you run out of money. You know, you run. And I, I got into pills, and I got it, and I still smoked weed, and I just but like what three bundles. So like, you know, how many bags are you doing per per snort? At, at a sitting, like two, three. I, mean, how long is it? I don't even remember like, what it was like, like. I could barely, even at my peak, I could barely get through a fucking eight ball in a night. Well, I think it's different with tolerance-wise with heroin mm. because the tolerance really grows. And I don't remember, I don't remember how it went with the snorting. I just remember that I couldn't afford it and I started shooting. But then I remember I would take, you know. Did it, you have to be taught to shoot? Yeah. And I was terrible at it. Mm. I was terrible at it for a long time. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. you keep missing? Yeah, and it was I was a bloody fucking mess. Like I heard you on the show the other day and you were like, I come from a long line of drivers. And it's like I'm a fucking passenger. Like I'm not great at driving, I'm not great at shooting dope. Yeah. I'm like eventually I got good at it because I kind of had to. But I but I would take these $80 shots, $90 shots, $100 shots. Waste them. No, I would fucking hit them and I would, oh. I'm just saying like my addiction got to that kind of place so all right so when do you lose the job 
pretty quickly. I lost the job the first time I ran out of money. So it was a two-year deal, and you lost it. It was a three-year deal, and I lost it in the second, the beginning of the second year. Because you were strung out. Because it was, it was a kind of classic thing where I ran out of money. I didn't want to ask my parents for more. The dealers weren't fronting me anymore, and I was like, and they lost the apartment. Not yet. I was like, I want to go to detox. Uh, do I tell Burly Bear or do I tell my parents? And I was like, I'm going to tell my parents. And Burley Bear fired me for breach of contract. They were looking for a way to fire me. If I just told them, they yeah. would have had to send me to rehab. Oh, so you fucked up again. Yeah, I fucked up again. <laughs> totally. And then after that, I, I didn't work. I just yeah. was on unemployment. So you cleaned up? No, I didn't clean up. I, Did you I, go to rehab? Uh, I went to rehab a bunch of times. I went to rehab. At that point, I, I was doing detoxes at Beth Israel, free detoxes. It was a mess. Mm. And... Um, they would they shoot you a Valium until you? They get no. Off? They give you methadone. Oh. They give you methadone. They wean so you like going to part of the methadone parade. Yeah, I was on methadone for like fifteen years. I used to see those guys on like Third Avenue. They just is that weird junkie talk? That's my favorite. I'm not gonna piss today. No, they're gonna test me. It's like that was like classic. I was on methadone in Los Angeles for six years. That's worse because you gotta get a ride there. No, I drove and it was a fucking disaster. It was. You get so fucking high from methadone. Not 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 if you take it every day. Oh, oh, oh. you don't. So all right, so. So you try to clean up in New York, kind of, but it doesn't sound really. And then when do you start shooting the dope? I started shooting the dope in New York. and uh, After you lost a job? After I lost a job. I went to a rehab. I came home with one. I, we left early. I left early from the rehab with some junkie. And he was like, why are you wasting your money snorting the dope? Let's shoot the dope. Uh-huh. And I started shooting the dope after that. And I loved it. And I, and I, you I, didn't get hep C or nothing? No, it was a miracle. It was a miracle. Were you sharing a lot of needles? No. I oh. shared one needle one time. And, but fat, and obsessed about it for half yeah, your life. Yeah, still thinking about it. <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still waiting for it to come. Um, and, then I, and then I went to, uh, my, then my parents sent me to Florida. They got, a, they got a cheap deal on a rehab, and I went to Florida. And that's when they gave away my apartment. And, uh, and they I, didn't tell you? They told me. Oh. They told me that the counselor was like, my rent was $300 a month, and my parents were paying the rent. And the counselor was like, you're enabling this this guy. you know." And they were. But like everyone in my rehab were like millionaires. We didn't have any money. You can't get a thing like that. Was it in Syverson Town? No, it was in Penn South. It was on, 20, you know the buildings on 8th Avenue with the big red buildings? Like, I don't know. It's between 24th Street and 29th Street on 8th oh, yeah. Avenue. My, my dad still lives there. That's fancy. It's beautiful. It, it, John F. Kennedy built the place in 1963. They're beautiful. It was the international There's uh, a bunch of them. Jewish There's... Garment Workers Union buildings. Oh. So wait, like aren't that. there penthouses and shit in there? No. You're thinking of the ones on Grand Street that went private and the oh, Orthodox oh. Jews buy like four apartments and build staircases oh, between them. Oh, really? It's fucking cool. But in our, in the one my dad still lives in, it's still public. Uh-huh. And, um, still rent control? It's, pub- it's, it's, it's sub- totally subsidized. Oh, wow. Okay. And, um, I wound up going to Florida. They gave away the apartment, and that's when I came out here. To do what? To to start another career in television production. And were you clean for any amount of time? A couple months. I, I came. I came. Todd moved out to L.A. The guy who was, you know, giving my friends drugs in my apartment. I moved to Todd's house. He told me he wasn't doing drugs, but I didn't know he had just started doing meth. So, like, I was on meth within like a week of coming here from Florida. Ugh. Where, tell me what part of town you're living in. We lived in North Hollywood. Oh. And then my girlfriend came out. You had a girlfriend? Yeah, I had a girlfriend. Was uh, she doper? No, she was a stoner. 
And she came out and we got an apartment together in Echo Park. And I lived in Echo Park for- How were you making a living? I wasn't. Not at all. So how'd you get an apartment? She she paid for it. Oh, you scumbag. I know. Seven years. There were two cats <laughs> in our house and me. This is a scumbag part. I know. Well, it's yeah. it's just, I got, it was enabling, yeah. you know, and I was on methadone and heroin. She knew? She knew. And living in Echo Park. Where's that girl now? She, she like, got rich. And now she retired. She's living in Woodstock. <laughs> she got, she, she, it was like the story of her. Yeah. It's like, I feel bad that we're talking so much. Like, I didn't expect to be talking this much about stuff that wasn't dopey. Um, but I don't want- You didn't? I, do you listen to my show? I do, but I just, I don't know why. I, I don't know why. I just figured I would talk about dopey. But yeah. what How happened- How can you talk about the fucking show? The fucked up thing uh, about this woman was that she, one of my best friends from Hunter that I had made friends with him when I was four, still friends with him, she was his girlfriend- and she left him for me uh, in, 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 in the beginning of my heroin addiction. Big mistake. And that was really what compounded my guilt. Yeah. Like that thing, because he's like my brother. Like, yeah. And like, like uh, I didn't talk to him for like, I don't know, 10 years or something. You talk to him now? Yeah, yeah. So she made a fortune. She wound up at, like a year after after we broke up. After, would she finally say fuck you? No, I, I was like, I, I broke up with her. Because why, because you were living in the street? Because no, but, but at that point we had lived in LA. My mom got diagnosed with leukemia. Uh, I decided I needed I needed to get off methadone, and I needed to see my mother because I couldn't live with being on methadone in Los Angeles while my mother was dying. We come back together. Did you ever do anything out here? Yeah, I got a job working for uh, Channel Nine. I did a magazine show called Nine on the Town, and I was like the associate producer, and I would shoot dope. In their bathroom. I, in their bathroom, there was a private bathroom with a drawer, and yeah. I kept a tissue box full of needles in their bathroom, thinking like this was something I should do. Yeah. Good decision. Terrible. Did they find it? No. But they fired me, and they were like, it's obvious you're on drugs. I was like, how is it obvious? Yeah. <laughs> but I was yeah. fucking totally on drugs. Nodding out at the board. After that, I yeah. like did nothing out here, basically. Very little. But when you broke up with the chick, where'd you live? We, I moved in with my friend's mother in Manhattan. Oh, so you came back. We moved to Burlington. Who? Me, me and this woman. New life, I, I lasted two months, and I was like, I can't live here. We didn't have a car. I was like, "It's gonna winter's coming. That's all I could think. Yeah. It's going to get cold. I was like, I got to go home. I got to go back to Manhattan, and I got to break up with this woman because mm. I was so sick. And, and, she, and, and we had a codependent relationship, yeah, yeah, you know, and she was enabling me, and I had to get out of it. And that's when I called my cousin and said, can I work at Katz's? And he said yes, and I got, and I went, and that's when I started at Katz's. When did you meet the dude you hosted Dopey with? Twenty eleven. Hmm. That was like two thousand and eight. Uh, so you're working at Katz's, doing all the things we talked about. Yes. And then you start buying dope. Yeah, I was smoking weed. I was. Uh, oh, and then I met my current partner, and uh, and she got pregnant, and my mom died. It's a lot of stuff. And my my mom dies. I meet my my daughter's mother. She gets pregnant. You're not married. Not yet. We're getting married in August. You have two kids, don't you? Yeah, two kids. Uh -huh. So you're you're fucking. She didn't know you're a drug addict. She knew I was a drug addict, but I wasn't doing heroin. I wasn't doing I wasn't doing anything but smoking weed. When did we you got tell her about the heroin? Yeah, she knew everything. And she still got decided to have your child. Yeah, well, she well, she was 35, she got pregnant, and, and she was like, I'm going to keep this baby. And I was like, all right, let's do it. And then that same guy, Todd, who I've told you about, yeah. showed up at our apartment in Astoria with heroin. And, and that's when I started doing heroin. 
again, and my wife left me with our baby. Baby was little. And that's when I went to rehab and I met Chris, who I started Dopey with. Huh. In 2011. Yeah. I met him in rehab. He was the worst drug addict I had ever met. He had been in rehab like 16 times. You're like, ah, that's my friend. He was funny. Yeah. He was like the big chief in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. He was like, I did. Did he talk? He he talked, but he had been in that. It was like a 28-day program, and he had been there for like six months. Yeah. Like, he barely went to groups. He would hide in his room and this and that. Rich kid? Very rich kid. Yeah. Very rich kid. And uh, and then when I got out of there, he would kind of show up at Katz's. He would bring girlfriends to Katz's. It's and, my guy. There's Dave. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Dave, get a sandwiches? Yeah. yeah. It's like that. Yeah. It's like you. And, uh, oh. and then uh, fucking what happened was- I started smoking weed and I had this vision that I wanted to do another show at Katz's. So I started doing a show called The Last Jewish Waiter about a waiter who hates his job because I was waiting tables. It's a video show? Yeah. Oh. It's on YouTube. And uh, it, was, it was a show about a waiter who hates waiting tables, but he wants to do a talk show. So he does a talk show while he waits tables. And it like got some acclaim and like Paper Magazine wrote about it and The Eater wrote about it. And I got a deal with uh, the, the Anthony Bourdain team. Yeah. Like they did a shopping deal for me and yeah. they, they ruined it. And, uh, and, and Chris was like, dude, you know, this is amazing. I want to do something. And I was still getting high. And me and my daughter's mother were trying to get back together. And she found out that I started to take pills again. And, and Where are you I, getting the pills? Katz's. You know, like like weirdos at Katz's okay. and stuff. Drug addicts here yeah. and there. Um, but like just like Clonopin or yeah, Xanax. Right. And, but that was the beginning. And I also was dating and, and, and girls were giving me pills. Yeah. And it was just, it was a mess. And, uh, and then me and my daughter's mother were trying to get back together. She found out about the pills. Yeah. And she's like, you're losing your custody again. Yeah. And that's when I was like, I got to get fucking sober. Right. And it was then that I started going to 12-step meetings. And For I, real. And I took it seriously. And um, that was when, and then Chris was like, holy shit, the last Jewish waiter is so cool. What can I do like that? And I was like, I don't know. And then I was like, oh yeah, you have these crazy drug stories. We should start a podcast about the worst drug stories that we ever did. Now, so he was sober. He was two years sober and I was four months sober when we started. So he was like doing it. He was doing it hardcore. And you primarily did it out of fear of losing your kid. I did it because I had gotten to that point where I was, I was 41 and my whole life was, you know, one, as you just heard, one yeah. horrible thing after another. And, and, and this was the top of my life. I'm a waiter at Katz's. I'm, I'm subletting an apartment. And I was like, this is 41 years of life. And you're, you have a kid on Long Island. And I had a kid on Long Island who I loved more than anything. And I was like, when I heard them say, rarely have we seen a person fail who thoroughly follows this thing, I was like, I've never thoroughly done anything. I was like, I was like, what if 41 years, this is what I have. What How if old I, was your daughter? She was uh, four. Oh, so a real little person. Yeah. And I, and I loved her. And I, I just, my dad was a great parent to me. My mom was a good parent to me. I wanted to be a good parent. So when your mom died, were you able to show up for that? Yeah, I was. Uh-huh. Uh, and she was high on Delauda dying and she laughed. She's like, laughed at me. She's like, oh my God, David, this is the first time I understand what you were doing. <laughs> You know, I, I did. I, it was a miracle that I got to see my mother before she died. Like it was because there has been years and years and years where I was just gone, miserable, yeah. debauched. So like when I got sober, 
Chris was like, we should do something. And me and my 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 current partner weren't together. And I had just played in bands to stay busy. And I was like, let's try a podcast. I yeah. didn't know what a podcast right. was. You know? Yeah. And, and then we, and you started doing it? Started doing it in, uh, I think, in December of 2015. Mm. And, uh, and and I've, I never missed a week until never. 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 Two a week, one a week. In the beginning, we did two a week because we had a, a stupid kind of setup. Yeah. But then it turned into one a week, and I've done one a week since. And like we've hit always guests. No, no. For the first hundred and forty-two episodes, it was mostly just me and Chris hanging out. Like here and there, we'd have a guest. Like like Danny Boy O'Connor from House of Pain would show up at Katz's, and I didn't even know he was sober. I was like, "Do you want to come on the podcast yeah. and talk about smoking weed?" Yeah. And it turned out he had twelve years. Oh wow. You know, and it was cool. And um. And then we had this listenership, you know what I mean? We had all these junkies who could relate to us because we weren't really talking about recovery. We were just kind of hanging out and being stupid. It was the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. Right. I remember when I talked to you about it before I did it, like I was asking, is is the angle recovery or are you just celebrating the fucked up things we did? The idea was people who have been like us had an experience and it's just like that's it. it like just to capture the experience but how is that like that, how's not going my question is always sort of like how is that not going to make people who are trying to stay sober go like mm, i remember that that was the beginning and and it was like the first episode chris told a story about being in a blackout in los angeles wanting drugs going to a veterinarian's clinic knocking out the 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 vet assistant to get phenobarbital like mm-hmm. that and, and he got arrested uh, helicopters came and he went to jail for like a year at the end of the episode i was like you know what we need to say we're sober because people are going to think that we're just glorifying drugs so the recovery kind of got baked in just by qualifying the fact that we were sober and what happened with chris Ay, ay, ay. Um, what year? Chris died uh, in 2018. Uh, but six weeks before Chris died, that guy Todd died. And the guy who lived in my apartment, the guy who lived out here. And he was like- The my, devil in your story. He was- One of them. Yes. He was the devil on my shoulder and he died and- Of what? OD. You know, fentanyl? Yeah. He died of a fentanyl overdose. On purpose? I don't know. I don't think so. No, I mean, like, did he know he was getting fentanyl? I don't think so. Ugh. I don't think he cared. I, I just think he was so fucking done with his life. Yeah. His life was just total fucking hell when he died. When he died, I broke. You know, something inside me just broke. We had just had our second daughter. We had just bought our house, and my best friend died. What do you mean, broke how? You were sober. I, ju- I was sober. Yeah. I, but I, I was emotionally fucking destroyed uh-huh. from this guy dying like that. And the show changed then. I couldn't really laugh in the same way about the worst shit because yeah. my best friend just died. And then, and Chris was in a graduate school program to get a, a PhD in psychology. He had this girlfriend who was in Harvard. He lived in Boston. And six weeks after Todd died, uh, he died um, out of nowhere. A relapse? Relapse, overdose, dead first time for it was that was the relapse or he didn't do i don't know i mean i think this the story kind of came out that he had gone on vacation with his girlfriend to anguilla and he like tore a muscle in his leg he was in pain and he the funny thing was that on the show on dopey he would be like what's probably going to happen is i'm going to relapse because i'm in pain and overdose he like said it on the show and then it happened 
you know, and, and he died. And it was like, like beyond trauma. You know what I mean? Like, For you. Yeah. I mean, like, and his, obviously his family, his, yeah. you know, uh, it was funny the night before he died, he called me, uh, just a mess you know i didn't realize it but he called me just to tell because we were fighting he had when we did dopey we did dopey for for i think two and a half or three and a half years before he died and um every week he'd come to manhattan he lived in boston he'd come to manhattan or, or great barrington massachusetts and he'd come to manhattan and at the end he stopped coming and we started like doing skype calls yeah. and bullshit fucking yeah. episodes and i was like dude it doesn't seem like you're interested in this anymore yeah but in reality he was relapsing uh, and I didn't. I didn't put it together. He couldn't cop to it. He couldn't cop to it. His sister runs a um, like a sober coaching kind yeah, of yeah. world, and he was a client in his sister's world. And the night before he died, they drug tested him, and the results came back the day after he died. Ugh. Right. So it was pills. No, it's fentanyl. Ugh. For him, it was fentanyl, alcohol, pills, coke. Fucking, he was like, he, he was just doing everything. Town, yeah. He was the the real, like a real serious drug addict. And when he died, like a bunch of people in our community had died, like that we were close with. Yeah. And then Todd died and that wrecked me. And when Chris died, it was like crazy town. You know what I mean? Like it was just the end of the world uh, in our community because all of these people that listened to the show loved him. He was brilliant and funny yeah, yeah. And, and like fun and young. Yeah. He was 10 years younger than me. Uh-huh. He died at 34, you know, Fuck. or right before he turned, right then, right when he was about to turn 34, he died. And, um, and then our, 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 like our community started this whole thing called Dopey Nation. And, you know, they do like 25 Dopey Nation Zoom meetings a week now, every week. And people have dopey tattoos and shit. And, you know, really? and it was soon after that, that, um, I didn't know what I was going to do with the show. I, I was just like, I'm either going to fucking... If, if the show stays miserable, I'm going to stop doing it. But I didn't want to stop doing it at first because we have a community of people that were, you know, entrenched with us. Yeah. And, like, we were part of their story. Yeah. And, like, a bunch of people, like, were like, Dopey got me sober. And I was like, okay, that's cool. It seemed weird. It didn't seem like it made any sense to me. Yeah. And and I didn't know what the show was going to become because the show was just me and Chris fucking being stupid together. Yeah. And... um. And that's where you come into the picture. And and you are my first, like, you know, the expression God shot. Yeah, yeah. Like, I never really liked that expression. Yeah. But for, I don't like it when people use it for, like, parking. Yeah, it's a God, it's a God shot. It's a fucking <laughs> yeah. spot in front of my house. Yeah, it's amazing. Right, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm at Katz's, and I was supposed to have the guy who wrote Beautiful Boy, you know, the John, I think his name is David Chef, who's uh-huh. a... And uh, he was coming, as a guest. Yeah, yeah, he was coming on the show, and he had the movie Beautiful Boy out, and he yeah. he, he emailed me, um, I'm not going to be able to come on Dopey because I'm doing actual press. <laughs> you know, I'm going oh, on CBS wow. and I'm going on here and there. And I was like, He never came on. He did. Oh, okay. He's like, I can come on in six months yeah, or something. Yeah, and I go outside and I'm smoking cigarettes still, and uh, and I think I was vaping nicotine. Yeah. And I was like, The show's done. It, there's nothing I mean like what am I gonna fucking do yeah. and you come walking down the street in that moment and I said holy shit I said Mark Marin, and I all and I was bugging you on Twitter before that mm. and I was like retweeting did I respond no and, 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 and but like when I mentioned Dopey to you you were like yeah you're that fucking annoying guy on Twitter <laughs> you know yeah but it was like the greatest fucking moment like I was waiting for you know something to happen and it did and like it really reaffirmed my belief in in 
everything, <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> then I, I walked by and you... you, you uh, Accosted you. You accosted me, and I, you know, I said you're annoying, and you're like, "This is it. This is all I've ever wanted." <laughs> but it's happened with you a few times, you know, because well, I stay right there. I know, but yeah. that, I mean, but you know, what are the odds? I don't. I don't know. They're pretty good. I just was like happy to, you know, that you know, you there. There is a, a convoluted thing that with with addicts and with the world we live in is that in sobriety is that like as annoying as you are, you know, I was happy you were sober. So there's always that undercurrent there. But like, we also, you know, we had a bunch of things in common. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, but that wasn't the time you asked me to do the show. No. Uh, the next morning, I invited you for breakfast. Right, and I had eggs. You had uh, lox and onion omelet. Oh, yeah. And then I brought you a smattering of meat samples. That's right. And, uh, and then, whatever, you were like, yeah, maybe I'll do the show. And I think the next day I texted you and you were like, I'll do the show, just stop annoying me. And then the next day, we did the show. Uh, in, in at your hotel, yeah. and then I waited tables at Katz's for ten hours right after the interview. <laughs> yeah, it was a good interview. I thought it was great. Yeah, and but in the sense that, not looking to uh, toot my own horn here, but like, what was it? Why was it so impactful that that I've? How did I facilitate this shift? That what I mean, you had listened to me before. I listened to you before. I really liked your show on oh. IFC. Right. Oh, right. I was really interested in that. And the fact that you were sober yeah. and were a huge podcaster, I was yeah. like, and I would talk to Chris. I was like, we should get this guy on the show somehow. Right, right. Okay. Chris hated interviewing people. Right. He just like wanted to hang out. Mm. And I was, and I, I always had it in, my, in the back of my head that you would be the ideal guest for Dopey. Mm. And you were because you know how to do this. Yeah. And you've been through something. And like, I think we had a very similar sort of ambition and yeah. and and we're we're interested in similar things yeah. and I figured we would it would it would jive and it did but like it was just I like can't, I just can't co-host it. Is this where this is going? Are you going to yes, ask me to co-host? I think that's what I'm looking for. <laughs> I know Dark Fonzie just went dark so I thought maybe you'd want to jump into dope. Now I'm going yeah, now I'm going to jump on Marin. Um, my time. No, I'm just saying like yeah. it was it was impactful and it, it also just was like it was something good, and yeah. like, and then we started getting bigger guests. And I, I have been incredibly tenacious and annoying with a lot of people. Sure, and um, and we but got. Yeah, some... But the thing you can sort of couch it in, you know, service. Yeah, but I don't feel comfortable right. about it. No, I mean, but no, you don't have to say that. But if you're talking, it's implied, to, right? Yeah, if you're talking to people in recovery and you go, oh, "This is the kind of podcast this is," you know, I don't help enough. Well, Jamie Lee Curtis, right? Was yeah. that was at Katz's before Chris died, and. Um, She's like getting a bagel and cream cheese for Christopher Guest, and he, she's leaving in a knish for him or something. Yeah. I'm like, someone's like, "Yo, that's Jamie Lee Curtis," and I run out of the store. I run like out and of the bag, and cat shirt and a hat, in the in the hood, in the in the sweatshirt and the hat with my apron because yeah. I'm waiting tables. Yeah. And I run outside, and I like I like did the Bugs Bunny, and I'm waiting for her outside, like smoking yeah, a cigarette, yeah, yeah. and I'm like, Jamie Lee Curtis, would you come on my podcast? It's all about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And she's like, I'm a dope fiend, and I was like, I'm a dope fiend too. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and she said she would come on, yeah. but then when she knew we were laughing about the story, she said, yeah. "I'm not coming on to that show." Oh, and it wasn't until after Chris died that she was like, "I'll come on now." Wow, it was weird. Huh. She cried on Dopey. Yeah, yeah, very powerful. Yeah, yeah, we're all kind of raw. Yep. Who else have you had on? Huh? I've had, I don't know who. Have, oh, Danny Trejo. Sure. Killer Mike. Yeah. You know Killer Mike. Yeah. He's great. Um, I've not had Killer Mike on. Wow, he's great. Just Running tell him you'll buy him. Yeah, run the jewels. I, yeah, it's just like I, I don't know enough about his music. 
I didn't know enough about his music either. He's uh, just a Cats guy. Okay. Uh, Mackenzie Phillips just came on this week. How's she? She's great. She wants she wants you to have her on. I told her I was going to see you. So you primarily just wait around the deli for people to walk in that might be celebrities? Yes. No, I, <laughs> I have a dopey sign-up sheet in the front. No, I, I, I mean, I've gotten the people I've gotten out of Cats's are, are you, Jamie Lee Curtis, Killer Mike, Bob Forrest, you know? Mm. And then, like, and Bob Forrest, like, he got us to Dr. Drew and, yeah, like, whatever. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's just, like, then I just, like, go crazy and I write anybody I can and I just do whatever I can to make it happen, to That's will great. it. And it seems like you're getting real advertisers. Got some of the same ones I do. I mean, but, like, dude, it's it's going good. Good. And, and it's still fun. Yeah. That's, well, that's important. So, like, how's everything with your family? I, I met your wife and or your partner, and I bought you dinner before show. It was great. Show. It was great. That's yeah. when you when you floated the idea about me coming on your podcast. Um, well, yeah, because it's, you just you're just like one of those guys. Like, ah, oh, fuck, he's he's here again. I like, never <laughs> asked to come on. Okay. I never asked to come on. It was implied. Maybe. Yes, it was implied. But yeah, my, my family's really good. We're yeah. getting married this summer. We, uh, my older daughter's 11. My younger daughter's three. Wow. Um, I'm still at Katz's, which- But you you're, know, in, you're, you're behind the scenes now. Yes, I'm a corporate Katz's. Corporate Katz's. Almost. They, they make fun of me and call me corporate Katz's until I'm like making bag lunches for 150 people. And that's the kind of shit you do? Sometimes, I, sometimes I make big events, deals. Events, yeah, we do events, catering, like. So what? But like that guy who I met, he he was a little like you know uh, overwhelmed the last time I saw him. The, the boss, what's Jake. his name? Jake. Yeah, J- Jake. What? Jake Dell. He's the guy who owns it. He owns it. Coming into that, just out of curiosity, what did he do to to? Because now people are like it's ridiculous. It's the only real Jewish deli in town. I guess I Barney's Greengrass or Barney's is still there. It's still there. I've never been there. Me neither. But but Katz's is a, a destination. People wait like two three hours to eat. No them. no no. Two no. hours. No way. It's a, even if the line is down the street and yeah. over, it's twenty minutes. Oh okay. So but what did he do? I mean. He changed him. He didn't change any recipes. He didn't change anything. The, the most brilliant thing he did was like blow up Katz's shipping so you could get Katz's anywhere in the country. And like he had that vision. He knew he couldn't put anybody else in the store. And he's like, but I know there's a lot of people in America that want to eat. And that and that that pays the bills. I mean, we do we do good. The coolest thing about Katz's is it's yeah. 133 years old. Yeah, it's great. You walk in there and you feel like you're someplace that doesn't exist. Yeah. And every day that it stays open, that becomes more true because other places close. So it existing yeah, it's is a magic like place. Very magic. So, but but I think it's really like what I always say is that the reason you don't have deli in most places, real deli, is you got to have turnover. Like if you you can't, there's no way he's serving yesterday's pastrami. No, because you can't. Well, we, we're very, very busy. No, all but the that's time. but that's what makes it good. There's no other way to do it. Like if you've got fucking pastrami or corned beef sitting around for three fucking days, can't eat it. No, I know. but they do. That's why. That's why there's no deli anywhere. But it's like the chicken and the egg. You know what I mean? You need to turn over in order to keep it. But if nobody comes, you can't turn it over. No, I get that. But, but but that's why it only exists in New York. You know, like some people are ordering that fucking you know the the pre cooked Hebrew National packed corned beef you know and they'll do that like in the middle of nowhere at the deli but it's not the same as getting fresh hot corned beef out of a steam table and slicing that shit there's nothing like walking up to a counter having a dude take a gigantic hunk of meat and cut it in front of you it's like it's very magical it's very like but it's also fresh and it's good and it's but so the recipes are all the same everything is the same do you cook it on site yeah 
No shit. Yeah, everything is right there. And it's, I mean, like, there's guys there that's worked there for 45 years. Jake came in at like 22 and he was like, he was he was either going to go to medical school or take over Katz's. <laughs> and he <laughs> fell in love with the Katz's. The Jewish dilemma. Right? Exactly. <laughs> and meanwhile, I'm like this junkie waiter in there. Yeah, you know? You can't, but you moving up in the business? I don't know. I, I mean, like, I'm doing fine. Like, yeah. I, Katz's is the job that I know. Like, I, all I want is for Dopey to be bigger yeah. you know i want dopey to be mainstream yeah. i want dopey to be uh, a living but i know that if i ever leave Katz's, it will have been the greatest job i ever had but while i'm in it it isn't right <laughs> you know what i'm saying but dopey is all you you doing everything i do everything i have a friend who helps me produce it yeah he like goes through the material with me and helps me plan stuff and then uh-huh. i have another guy who helps me with a little marketing stuff and uh-huh. i like there's a lot of people in the in the dopey community that participate okay. they make art and they yeah. they send in oh, voicemails nice. and nice. stories yeah, and yeah, yeah. songs oh, yeah. like they always there's so, so much original music that comes out of the audience mm. the audience is incredibly tight and like there, there's like 20 people with dopey tattoos and it's like cool mm. i love it i don't have a tattoo but no neither yeah there's a couple of uh, mark maron tattoos out there doesn't that make you feel good though it's a little weird it's weird but it's awesome i signed a guy's arm once and he went out and had it inked my signature wow yeah this big bird thing yeah when i was in la yeah i didn't work for years yeah and i decided i needed to get a job and i saw a kid's party kind of person job yeah so like i go there and they teach you how to blow up balloon animals yeah and uh i was like all right i'll do a kid's party but i'm strung out on heroin and yeah. I'm, I'm super high on heroin and they give me the costume and the costume was this fucking cracked out big bird costume yeah uh with like the you know like downtown la like yeah. the matted feathers and the googly eyes that yeah. don't look like big bird and they had the big big bird feet but they didn't give me tights so like I had hairy legs like that picture <laughs> yeah. and I would go to kids parties high on heroin trying to entertain wearing this fucked up big bird costume with hairy legs. Yeah. And somebody sent me that artwork and, and now it's like two people have it tattooed on them. Yeah. And like it's a big piece of our like our, our, our vibe. But yeah. it's like that's that story. But it's like great. it is what it is. You know, it's weird. It's weird that my biggest like failure has become like this story that two people have tattooed on them. <laughs> Isn't that weird? No, it's uh, it's the uh, uh, or, uh, origin myth. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's the creation myth. It is the creation myth of dopey, definitely. All right, buddy. Well, it was good talking to you. I'm glad we did it. I'm glad everything's well. Everything's do you have friends good. out here? I do. I have a lot of friends out here. Oh, so this has been a fun trip. When I got here, it was totally traumatic, though. Huh? Already? I got off the plane and I was just like, all I could think about were the years that I destroyed here. I was totally freaked out. Yeah. I had to go to a meeting yesterday morning to get my shit together. I gotta go. You should, we, you, I, should, I, I was going to bother you, but I knew better to not bother I'm so you. So fucking like I'm so like out of the meeting loop, dude. Well, what are you going to do? Just be a dry motherfucker. No, <laughs> go to a fucking meeting. I know. Like it'll make you feel better. It's like forget spiritual greatness or no, anything. I know. You You'll just, just feel better. Yeah, it's like because you got those neural pathways in your head that are all programmed. And you get and you go to the meeting like oh, this is you're regenerated. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy. It is. It's yeah. annoying though. I when I went to that meeting yesterday yeah. and I was miserable and I look up at the stupid fucking steps and, the and I'm like, this traditions. is who I am now. I'm this cult fucking member weakling. But I I felt really better. do that. Huh? Yeah, I never do the cult thing anymore. It's sort of like I, that. Like it, it's it, it's what it was one of those dumb things I heard in the rooms. It's like uh, 
Some guy says uh, he told the sponsor that that he's being brainwashed. And oh, and I my brain needed washing. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, but it's like you know what I mean. I didn't. I never wanted to 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 really be like I need this. Yeah, yeah. it makes me uncomfortable to need that. Yeah, I don't know. I I do get a little out of the loop and a little brittle. Uh, yeah, I usually stay in touch with you know sober people because I you know all the time, one way or the other, I talk to them. But even that's sort of diminished a little bit. But some woman I just know, so it's always weird how this happens. A woman I know from New York just moved here and she's like, she's pretty gung-ho. She's like, I just found this one. It's great, game changer. And everybody here is like, everyone's not, I didn't do Zoom because I couldn't, I couldn't cope with it. I didn't want to deal with it. It's uncomfortable. Yeah, so like now they're starting to happen though in reality. And I've gone in Silver Lake a couple times with Jerry, you know. You're gonna take me to get my car? Sure. All right, nice talking to you, Dave. Finally. Great. Do you so, feel good about it? I feel okay. What are you talking about? I feel like I talk too much. That's what this is. Was it okay for you? I was here to, to manage your talking. Was it okay for you? Yeah, but I don't want you to you know, leave from flying out here going like, ah, fucked it up. Did it, you? Listen, just to sit with you uh, was worth the whole thing for all me. Right. It was worth the whole thing for me. All right, buddy. There you go. Dopey podcast. Get it wherever you get your podcasts. Okay? Can you do that? Now I'm just going to fucking romp through some dirty blues. Through the little champ on a Les Paul Custom. Monkey, La Fonda, Cat Angels everywhere. Okay. Okay.